Hello and welcome to Ball in the Real World, a special Ben Simmons Debate Club edition. Uh, as usual, I am joined by my colleagues, Kane Pittman and Steve Smith. Uh, we have just all received the news via ESPN's Brian Windhorst that Ben Simmons is doubtful to play for the Australian Boomers at the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, and so we're going to talk about this and also talk about the Sixers being ousted from the NBA playoffs in the second round. There's a lot going on. A lot of it revolves around Ben Simmons, so we figured we'd talk about it. Um, but I am going to relinquish my hosting duties to my friend and colleague, Laurie Haresh. Laurie, hello. Is the mic on? Is it working? I've been I've been plugged in. I'm live. Okay. Yes, this is not hey. all in right now. This is Laurie Haresh from ESPN Australia, happily jumping in and going to take, I guess, the moderating duties today as we put these three hardwood philosophers uh to the test with a handful of questions surrounding ben simmons his future regarding both the nba and of course the national team uh it is an honor to briefly momentarily take the reins for a second Olgan. but we'll get underway um right off the top as you mentioned the reports from brian windhorst suggest ben simmons doubtful to join the boomers campaign a much hyped boomers campaign so we'll start with the first question should ben simmons be going to the tokyo games and we'll start with Olgan. he should be uh, the reason why Basketball Australia appointed Brian Gorgian, not just because of, you know, his stature in the basketball community here and the fact that he has demonstrated success over a number of years, was because the Gorgian family has a relationship with the Simmons family. They thought he would be a good bridge between Simmons and a Boomers program that he had fallen out with. Um, he has just come off this playoff campaign where there's clearly some mental, I'd say, demons that he has to deal with in order for him to reach that next level of his development as a player and I guess as a person too. Um, and the thinking was he has spent so many off-seasons in this sort of quote-unquote grind, right? And he really hasn't demonstrated that he's gotten better at anything other than defense, right? And so why not join a boomers program that's led by Patty Mills and Joe Ingles and Aaron Baines and has all of these figures who can at the very least put you in a really positive environment in order to get your head right before your next NBA season. The, the boomers were pretty confident that he would be taking part. Um, but at the same time, it's still not surprising that it appears as though he won't. I'm going to throw to Steve Smith for your response to the question. I think everything Olgan said there is, is bang on. And, and let's be honest, you know, Brian Windhorst isn't raising that as a, as a trial balloon or anything like that. He's almost certainly not going, not going now. I, and he, he really should be. I think, as Olgan said, you know, the camaraderie of the Australian Olympic team, that's good for, that would be good for Ben's soul. I, I, I'm, I'm not so sure that, you know, if he's working on his, on his shooting and, you know, in an empty gym, dribbling around cones for pull-up jump shots 500 to 1,000 times a day or whatever it might be, I'm not sure that's what he needs right now. And I think, you know, put him amongst, you know, 12 to 15 guys and, you know, get him feeling loved again. Because I, I don't think he does at the moment. And I think that would be far better for his, from a mental health standpoint. Kane, fair bit of consensus so far. Where do you jump in on this one? Well, I'll say this first of all. When I woke up and saw the message, I felt sad for Paddy and for Aaron Baines and for Joe Ingles and those players. That was my first response more than anything because, as we know, those guys have played through a lot of stuff and they've given up off-seasons time and time again to play for Australia. So I think the first thing that came to my mind is this is a different era of player 
that isn't willing to put themselves through that challenge of playing in the Olympics. So that was my first thought. As far as Ben Simmons suggesting that he is going to spend the time on player development or skill development, that's a very valid reason for not playing in the Olympics because let's be honest, he needs it. We've just watched him in the postseason and really over the course of the last five years not develop his game in the slightest on the offensive end. So I actually think it's a very valid reason for him not to go. I genuinely don't buy into the mental side of the things that he's going to go to the Olympics for one month and all of a sudden everything's going to be fixed. I don't think that that's the case. I don't buy into that. I'm not saying that the, the boomers camp and the, the attitude they all have together and, and the way they come together wouldn't be beneficial. I'm sure it would have some benefits, but I think more than anything, he does need to develop his skills. And then on top of that, he needs to be in an NBA environment that is more beneficial for his confidence and for his ability to grow. And I don't think that he's been there in Philadelphia. What was more of a concern to you in these playoffs? The fact that Ben Simmons didn't produce or the fact that Ben Simmons didn't attempt to produce as far as being a scorer? Well, I think that this is, it's more than just one playoff series. And we, we've seen that his sure. lack of, of whether it's desire or lack of opportunity to show different skill sets and try different things in the game. And this isn't just Philadelphia. This is on Ben as well. He has been completely unwilling to add different elements to his game offensively. But I, I think that what we saw in the postseason, to me anyway, it wasn't a surprise because we've seen what his limitations are in the postseason before. But I think when you add on top of it, the the reaction we saw from the Philadelphia players after the game with Joel Embiid commenting, with Doc Rivers commenting, and the crowd. Yes, I, I know that, that this is what the Philadelphia crowd do. But when you add that on top, I think what you find is the perfect storm for a guy that needs confidence and needs to uh, be shown that it's okay to fail, which is going to happen sometimes. I don't think that that's happened in Philadelphia. And I think we hit the absolute low point in the postseason. And to be quite honest, I felt a little bit bad for him. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I felt bad when obviously they lost and, and the, the crux of the brunt was on him, right? Especially from his teammates. Um, I think my point, and I think Steve's point as well, is you mentioned confidence. And I think that's the key part of this. It's the fact that I don't think he's necessarily a, a woeful shooter or, or a woeful scorer, but he just doesn't try to do those things. Um, and so I guess maybe a boomer's environment that could potentially humble him to an extent um, to, to sort of teach him to play for something outside of himself, which I'm not sure he's done before. I feel like that could have been effective for him because, and again, it's, the fact that we've seen, how many times have we seen him go to an off-season camp and work out with Chris Johnston in LA and get heaps of shots up and we see it on Ball is Life and we see it everywhere and then it just doesn't manifest itself in an NBA season. It's just this, if, if that's what he's doing, then it's just been demonstrated to not have worked. Um, the only caveat there would be if, as Windhorse has suggested, um, that he's going to change his shooting hand or, or that's at least a consideration. If that's a consideration, then you'd need an off-season to, to work through that. If that's not a consideration, then I'm not sure what he can get out of this off-season that he hasn't in previous off-seasons because those previous off-seasons demonstrably haven't worked. Yeah, I, I still think he could do both of these things. Like, he could still go to the Olympics and still put in the work once he's done there, you know, yeah, he gets some rest time maybe cut out, but he's 24 years old as well. And I think, I, I just think there's room for all of these things if he really, really wants it. And I'm just not convinced. I'm not convinced he's going to 
that this offseason will be any different to any other, as you said, Oggs, that is, is there going to be a dramatic shift here in, in how he goes about it? And what are we going to see? Like, and, and as Kane's right in that it's not so much a surprise. Like, if you look at the numbers over the last, you know, two to three years, and I think it's, you know, he's played in something like 19 or 20 round two playoff games. It's like 154th quarter minutes and he's attempted 20 shots total. Like, something has to change here and it's, it's mentally, I think, more than anything else. I would say honours even after the first question has been thrown out there, the first debate point, this will be a scored debate uh, and so far we're seeing <laughs> so far we're seeing a heartfelt insight from steve smith olgan with insider knowledge as all three possess as well as a bit of balance and a given take there with kane and kane establishing himself as a mild contrarian candidate right off the bat <laughs> which only promises more entertainment to come uh kane one thing you referenced there was pointing back to the nba environment uh and how much change would um time away with the boomers really um, make when it comes down to NBA playing is fit there. So let's move over to the NBA and our next question for the panel. Where will Ben Simmons play next season? Where do you guys predict he will land? Uh, let's move in counterclockwise around the Zoom room. Let's start with contrarian Kane. Kane, your answer to that question. Well, the answer lies within what we've seen with the Sixers for the, over the course of his career in Philadelphia. So the one thing that they have never had is continuity with the roster. And we've seen them try time and time again to change the roster. Arguably the best basketball they played was going back a few seasons ago when Joel Embiid was injured. They brought in Ersan Uisova and Marco Ballinelli and Ben Simmons was running the show with shooters around him. I, I think that you could make a clear case that that was the best Ben Simmons has looked for a stretch in the NBA as well offensively. Then the next season, they make moves. They bring in Tobias Harris. Then after that, it was Jimmy Butler. And then this season, we've, we've seen the team that they've had. They've brought in Seth Curry. Again, always trying to find shooters and outside scoring. Ultimately, it comes down to not being able to play with Joel Embiid on the offensive end. It, the way that Embiid plays is that old school post player. He wants to play in the half court where he can really dominate, mostly because the transition game doesn't suit a man of Joel Embiid's size. You're talking about a 280 to 300 pound man that's had injury concerns that running up and down the court is not going to put him in the position to succeed over the course of a playoff game where you're asking him to play 40 minutes. So to me, where Ben Simmons would be best suited to go is a team a, that is willing to run, that doesn't have that old school center. And the funny thing about this is, if you think about the potential trade earlier in the season where Ben Simmons could have ended up in Houston in a James Harden trade, that actually makes a lot of sense with a center like Christian Wood that can run the floor, that is more versatile offensively. And then you can give the keys to Ben Simmons and say, all right, now you've got the shooters around you, but you've also got a center that's willing to play that fast offensive game and can stand out on the perimeter and knock down the open shot. So the answer to me in terms of unlocking the clear untapped talent of Ben Simmons offensively is giving him a center that is athletic and can run in transition. Steve, we've been presented with one example. Where do you think he will play? Yeah, I think, I mean, look, if you, if you looked at the immediate reactions yesterday, it looked like he was going to be playing for the Tasmania Jack Jumpers at one stage, but I think, you know, Philly have sort of calmed down a bit. I think, the, the, those post-game comments from Doc and, and from, from Embiid, I think that you can shrug them off, okay, they're set in the heat of the moment and, you know, they're really, really upset at the time. Fine, okay, but I think Philly have walked that back. They've said they're prepared to work with, with Ben over the off-season. So I think that probably indicates that at this stage, he's probably staying put. Having said, And having said that, part of the problem is his trade value has 
his stock has absolutely plummeted. So they're not going to get fair value on the dollar for what he's probably worth at his peak. So the problem then becomes, well, what do we do? So let's try and maybe make this make this work and let's let's have an off, off season of, of work and, and see how it goes. And then maybe they look at it, you know, two months into the season and see if it's still working. But I think Kane makes a really good point about not being able to play with Embiid and they're going to stick with, with Embiid. That's an MVP, you know, candidate right there. So Ben's going to be the odd man out if, if they can't make this work. So I'm, re- I'm going to be really curious to see where they go from here. Yeah, I'm of the mind that it's to, to not move Ben Simmons would just be, would make no sense for the Sixers. Uh, the, this experiment, I call it an experiment, but it's surely run its course, right? You, and I think if they had made the conference finals, you can make an argument that let's run it back. Getting knocked out in the second round to an Atlanta team, not even at full strength, um, and that's only going to get better. Like Trey Young's only going to get better. Um, they're going to, you know, add Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter and those guys. And so it, it doesn't make sense to keep this unit together. In my mind, I like the idea of seeing Ben Simmons with a Damian Lillard. Um, why not throw him over to, to Portland? I don't know if a, if a, a simmons McCullum straight-up trade would work as far as what each team wants. It works as far as money goes. Um, but why not give Damian Lillard his Draymond Green? He's Draymond Green, right? Ben, Steph Curry has a Draymond Green that he can work off, that he can come off on balls with and he, he can throw it to and, and cut and whatnot. Why can't Ben Simmons be that kind of guy? He is that kind of guy defensively. So I, I think he can have the same sort of impact that Draymond Green has. But Draymond Green doesn't get any of uh, the, the flack that Ben does because Draymond Green isn't afraid to shoot it and he also knows where he's effective, right? And he's able to be effective effectively throughout an entire game. Um, so, you know, why not put Ben Simmons with Damian Lillard, get a bunch of shooters around them. You have Yusuf Nurkic, who, if I'm comparing them to the Warriors again, that's your, your Kevon Looney times 10 sort of guy. Um, I think that would be really good for Damian Lillard and whomever the next head coach of Portland is. Um, and I think it would be good for Ben Simmons to play with an actual perimeter creator, initiator guy, um, which I think he needs to play alongside because... We've probably gotten to the end of the point of calling Ben Simmons a point guard in the NBA at this point. Um, and, and then again, if that trade works out, I like the idea of putting Joel Embiid with an actual perimeter creator, initiator guy in CJ McCollum. I, I think that helps both teams. It splits up two experiments that just haven't worked or at least haven't reached you know, glory yet in Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Why not just do that swap and, and try something new? In classic political debate conduct, two of the three panellists have, rather than answer the actual question, have answered the question they want to answer, um, and that's Kane and Olgan both saying where they'd like to see him play. I don't um, want to see so him in Houston, by do. the way. I do not want to see him in Houston, to be clear, but no. that is the type of environment, the type of lineup and type of big man I think he needs to play with, to be clear. Okay, well, <laughs> your point and your rebuttal is noted there, and you've gone over a lot of time, so that's a warning to the candidate from Milwaukee. Uh, Steve Smith, you offered uh, your thoughts that he will actually return, so I'm going to throw to you naturally here. Where would you like him to see? Where's your ideal landing spot for Ben Simmons? Yeah, look, I was actually just going to say to Olgs, and I agree with him that Portland seem, seems to me to be the ideal spot. I just I have some really big questions about his willingness to play at the four or even the five, given his previous comments on that. And I just, yeah. and while I agree the Draymond Green role would suit him to a T, 
I'm just not convinced that he's willing to do that yet. And I think he needs to. I, I, I agree entirely with Olgan in that that's just the perfect role for him. He can be an alternate, um, you know, ball handler and distributor. He takes some of that load off, off Dame. And defensively, he's going to be elite as always. And it's a nice fan base. Like, it's, it's the polar opposite of, of Philadelphia. So, you know, they, they, they're going to love him. But I'm just not convinced that he, would, he wants to willingly take on that uh, a less of a, a, a ball handling role. And I don't disagree with that either. Um, you know, we, it's, but it does come down to Ben Simmons has yet to show that he can be that guy at a high enough level to lead a really, a really stacked team to yeah. a championship. Um, and again, especially if it's Philly, we saw the way they were guarding him. You know, he comes off on balls and the, there's no one guarding him. They can effectively just load up on the side that they want to stop, which is usually the MB side. And so it's just, he's, He's not effective. And so if he's not willing to improve those areas that need improvement for him to be an effective creator, which is the, which is the jumper. And it, it always, it just always comes back to that. Um, but if he's not able to hit something off the dribble or at least make, at least keep defenses honest when they're guarding on balls, then I'm not sure how he can be an effective point guard outside of just being a grab and go transition guy, which is all well and good. And a lot of guys can do that. And, and that's where I think Ben shines. But if you want a team that's going to be successful down the stretch, that's a team that has to be successful in the postseason. In order to be successful in the postseason, you have to have a team that can play slow, that can play in the half court. Ben hasn't shown that he's effective on that end in the half court. Um, and it just, they, they were hiding Gallinari on him. Gallinari is not an effective defender by any means, but this Atlanta could keep Gallinari on the floor and Gallinari could go to work on the other end because Ben Simmons is such a non-factor offensively. It, the only way, as in, if, if the Sixers want to work with him, which, as you said, Doc Rivers sort of alluded to this morning, sort of walking back his comments from last night, yeah. then sure. But I think he's got to show them enough for them to think, okay, things will be different. And I don't know if there's going to be enough time in whatever short offseason they're going to get in order for him to show that. Kane, you mentioned the Houston Rockets earlier. And uh, a devilish smile came across your face at the mention of fan love. What's the situation you'd love to see Simmons land in next year? Yeah, again, I, I, it's it's really hard to pick a team right now. You guys know, first of all, I love sitting on the fence. So here we go. Get buckle up. But <laughs> before you do get to, to the draft, honestly, it's really hard to say. But I, I do think that the point that Olgan makes about him not being the primary ball hander in the half court makes a lot of sense. I think that we've seen Ben Simmons, particularly with what he can do defensively and his size, he can defend basically all five positions. So I think you need to take advantage of that, particularly in the postseason. The point that Olgan made about his jump shot is interesting because uh, I, I think that it's become so far overblown. And you guys knew that we weren't going to get through this podcast without me mentioning Giannis. So here we go. This is the Giannis conversation we're going to have here right now. So Ben Simmons, everyone talks about the three-point shot. Forget about it. Just forget it. It doesn't matter. It's not going to happen at this point. He's already 24, 25. Maybe he could get it to the point where he's shooting 30% like Giannis, but how does Giannis still defend it at the three-point line? He's not. 
because it doesn't matter. It, you, at this point in his career, what he needs to develop is something within the arc, in the post. And if he's not that primary ball handler, then you can get him in different positions. You can get him the ball in the elbow. You can get him the ball on the baseline and he can post up. And what we saw in this series uh, against uh, Atlanta was that he literally only has one move. He dribbles a couple of times from the right baseline. will chuck up a little right hook that looks very uncomfortable. He doesn't necessarily have great touch on it. So when it comes to Ben Simmons and you're talking about the development, I think that he needed to hit his low point and, and, fail, and to really spark that change in him. So if you go back two seasons ago, they lose to Kawhi Leonard on one of the most miraculous shots of all time. So you can give yourself a pass and say, okay, well, look, we lost this series, but we were a miraculous shot away from the conference finals. Then, you know, we get Milwaukee, maybe we win a title. And this isn't even the conversation the year after he's injured. And then this is the low point that we've seen here. So again, I can't predict a team that he wants to go to, but I don't think that we should be dismissing that he's not willing to develop because I think that this is the exact moment that potentially he needed to get to the point where he's like, okay, yeah, things need to change. And Olgan is right. He needs to be not the primary ball handler in the, in the half court. So there's always, there's always been the comparison between Ben and Giannis because both are just big uh, ball handlers, really great defenders um, and have the freight train potential. Right. Whereas, and Giannis has clearly reached that point. And Ben Simmons, I think, still has that potential, but has never reached it. Um, Kane, do you think it's the difference outside of Giannis being probably, you know, a bit more skilled and, and more a bit more athletic and all those sorts of things? Do you think a lot of it just comes down to Giannis's willingness to shoot the three ball, to be aggressive in the post, to attack mismatches when they come um, and just just overall just being more assertive and looking at the rim as opposed to what we see from Ben, which is a lot of, he's very passive at times. Do you, do you think that's such a big difference? Do you think that's like the, the key difference between the two? Yeah. I mean, you pointed to it. I do think that there's probably just more skill with Giannis in general. I mean, you have to have that ability to develop that, but I think there's no question that you can't look at those two and say that it isn't one work ethic. Giannis is known as one of the absolute hardest workers in the league year on year. He doesn't stop. So when you talk about a guy that goes, that, that says, I'm going to go in the off season, I'm going to come back with something new. You believe it when Giannis says it. And here we are on this podcast scoffing at the fact that Ben Simmons says he's going to work on skilled development in the off season. Everyone's laughing and saying, we haven't seen anything from you. So that's, that's the big thing there. And the other thing is you have to be willing to fail. Everyone talks about that situation uh, in that game seven yesterday where Ben Simmons had a wide open dunk and passed it off. Now, clearly his confidence was rock bottom, but Ben Simmons has been scared to fail. And when you look at Giannis and he's out there in a game seven, airballing free throws, next time he walks up, swish. He'll airball a three-point shot. Two minutes later, he'll, he'll shoot another one, miss, shoot another one and make it. You also have to be able to be willing to put yourself in a position to fail. And we haven't seen that from Ben. He's, he's played it safe. He's played it safe. And what that results in is a guy that is not only his teammates are scared to give him the ball in the fourth quarter, but he looked like he didn't want the ball in the fourth quarter and it's just not tenable. It's the difference. Like, that's just the difference. And, and we might be, all of us might be high on Ben, higher than others, just because we're Australian and we've seen him effectively grow up. And, you know, I've covered him since he was at Montverde and you see the potential. But I think, I think you nailed it. I think he's, he's scared to fail. And until he's willing to sort of put himself out there, then he's never going to get close to that potential. And he's just going to be a 
basically just like a rich man. <laughs> like, and if that's, if that's what you want to be, like, that's what you can be. Um, but I, I think just there's clearly just a level of aggression and a level of security in himself as a player that he hasn't reached yet, which hopefully he can reach soon. That will help him get to that next level. Because right now there's a cap on his ceiling unless he's willing to, to try new stuff. If you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia Podcast Network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. We're hearing a lot of words like ceiling and potential and especially player comparisons to someone like Giannis and the different point in reaching their potential that the two, the two players represent. So moving from that point, to one that sound, a question that sounds pretty simple, but I think with plenty of potential, I hope, for nuanced answers from the expert panel. How good do you think Ben Simmons is? How good do we think he is as we sit here today? And I'm going to open with uh, Steve Smith uh, moving counter-counterclockwise on the Zoom video telestrator. He's an elite defender. Like, we already know this. So at one end of the court, he's one of the best five defenders in the NBA. And there's probably no one else who has his defensive versatility. Like he guards one through five, probably there's, I, I can't think of three players that can do that in the league. So right there is his calling card. And if he can, again, it comes down to wanting to put the work in. I think Kane and Olgan nailed that in, in the last bit. Does he want to be as good at the other end of the court as he is defensively? And if he does, then He's an all NBA first team player. That's his ceiling right there. So it just comes down to wanting to, to work at it. That's it's, I don't think that there's nothing else to it as far, as far as I'm concerned. I'm of the mind that he, he can be the, the second best player on a competing on a contending team. That's, that's where I am. Um, and I know that's what he's been and they got very close. But I think if he's the second best player on a contending team that is built, not necessarily around him, but built so that all pieces fit, then yeah. he can be really effective. You, you can't be one of the best defenders on earth um, and not be a potential superstar in the NBA. Um, and because, because of what we've seen offensively too, because we, we do forget to an extent that he does average eight assists a game over his career. That's really impressive. Right. And so but the problem has always been he's averaged 16, 8 and 8 ad nauseum. That's just what he's stuck. He's stuck around. And this season, he actually regressed as a scorer, um, or at the very least, as a person who tries to score the ball. Um, so if he's rookie season and his first few seasons in the NBA were 16, 8 and 8, there's no reason why he can't go average 28 and 10. Right. And if he's averaging those sorts of numbers, we would call him a superstar and no one would bat an eyelid. But it's because of the struggles in the postseason that we, we do question his ability. Um, I think if you put a team around him that will help him succeed and that will show off parts of his game and, and allow himself and others to succeed in a postseason, then I think he can be a superstar in the NBA. And on, on par with the kind of Anthony Davis level players that we see, you know, I think he can be a top 10 guy in the NBA. And, and it's, it's basically, it's, partly him and it's partly his situation that's just holding him back. I just can't imagine any other super, like potential superstar in the league 
not taking a single field goal attempt in the fourth quarter of right of four straight games. Like that's never never mind one game. Like you know, LeBron got absolutely pilloried, you know, for being so passive against Dallas, you know, and he came back obviously so much better. But and I'm not saying Ben Simmons is going to be as good as LeBron, obviously, but this has to surely this you know stings him into action. And that's that's I think the key, and that's what I think we alluded we both alluded to, which is the, the key thing that's stopping him from becoming that level of player that we know he has the potential to be is himself. Mm. Um, he, is, he is his worst enemy. And, and until he can get over, get over that, then I don't think he'll get there. But I think, I think we can agree, and I don't know if Kane does, but I think we can agree that he has the potential to get there. Um, and, at the, and I think he has the talent to get there too. Because um, it's not like the shots weren't given to him. He, the, he gets open looks and he, has, there are, he gets opportunities to drive to the lane and be aggressive. He just doesn't take them. And so he's his he's worst enemy. He's stopping himself from getting to that next level. Well, I think we should probably acknowledge that for all this conversation we're having about Ben Simmons, if he continues on this trajectory in the NBA for another 10 years, it's hard to see that he's not going to end up the best basketball player Australia, best male basketball player Australia has seen. So that's what we're talking about. And that's why we're having this conversation because the potential for him to go to the next level is right there. You spoke about, uh, Steve, you mentioned, you know, LeBron going back in Dallas. Why don't we just go to Utah a couple of days ago and Rudy Gobert? And isn't it funny that the Defensive Player of the Year and the player that finished second in Defensive Player of the Year both probably shouldn't have been on the floor in the fourth quarter as their teams were exited or booted out of the postseason? Because in NBA these days, if you can't do it on both ends, then you're going to be exposed. And as good as he is defensively, he has been exposed offensively and, and, you know, his limitations have really been used against him on that end of the floor. So again, it comes down to, I think, a, a change of environment. I don't think it's helped him that he's been through this never-ended process and being tied with all these other failed draft picks that aren't even with the team anymore. Some of them, in which case, some of them aren't even in the league anymore. So it's all been put on Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to succeed in an environment that I don't think is very good for a player to be able to develop. Like I haven't watched the Sixers this year and thought, yeah, this is a team that really wants him to try different things and to expand on his game and get better. So I think that's part of the responsibility is with the Sixers. Certainly part of it is with Ben, but that's where I think if he goes to a team where he's separated from the process, he's separated from those expectations in Philadelphia, he, could, he might be in an environment where he's more willing to try new things and be more willing to fail in a regular season game that will hopefully benefit him in the postseason. Because if he figures it out offensively and he does add some weapons to his game, shout out you know, to Kevin O'Connor, potentially swap shooting hands, who knows? But he has to be willing to try those things. And from everything we've heard, he hasn't been willing in the past. I just hope for him because he, he could be... As I said, one of the, the all-time greats of the game in Australia, I hope that this is the, the turning point for him at still a very young age. Lots of career ahead for him to say, okay, this hasn't worked out. I can't keep doing the same things. Unless, of course, he's satisfied where he is, which, by the way, Olgan, you brought up. Let's be honest. This guy will probably be a multi-time all-star, probably a defensive player of the year. Lots of money. Still jealous of, of, of what he's doing over there in Philly. Let's be honest. He's, uh, he's, he's living a pretty good life, I'm sure. Yeah, but at the same time, and he, again, there's no discounting the fact that any 24-year-old, and we should remember he's 24, but any 24-year-old 
will lean into the, the fame and the fortune and and that is what it is um but but we were all on the internet last last night or yesterday and we saw just the the barrage of of hmm. takes and just rocks being thrown at Ben Simmons um and that's not that's not nice um that if you're Ben Simmons that's not a nice thing to see and he absolutely sees it all um and so it the change a change of scenery would just do him just a world of good um yeah. especially getting out of a situation from an encore perspective honestly just being in a team that is going to go to the playoffs and what play in the half court and maybe not have to give it to this big 280 pound dude for post-ups every time where ben simmons is just not effective at all off the ball there right there's only there's only so many times he can go down in that dunker spot and that Sixers offense can be effective getting him away from that basketball situation getting him away from what just has seemed like a weirdly toxic situation for a number of years now um and the burden of the process like you said Kane, getting him away from that I think would just do him a world of good because what he went through last night is is something that I don't think any player should have to go through um, and it sucks that he did go through it, um, but it it wasn't completely undeserved. Um, and again, a part, part of that comes down to the team and a lot of it comes down to himself and what he was willing and unwilling to do. Okay, following up on what you mentioned there, change of scenery, change of situation. What is his trade value? Where does that come in at? And Olgs, we'll start with you having just finished your point. Ben Simmons, as it stands today, you know, there's going to be about a million hits on the ESPN trade machine in this hour alone, trying to work these things out. What is Ben Simmons trade value? I still think it's, it's not, it's not low. I, he, he's looked a team will look at him and say, he is one of the best defenders in the world. He is an elite passer. Uh, he can run the floor. He, there's clearly value there. I, and I think, teams will be smarter than saying in, as a blanket statement that he can't play in the half court in the postseason. Um, I, I think you can say he can't play in the half court in the postseason next to a player like Joel Embiid, next to just a ball-dominant post-up guy. Um, but who says he can't play in the postseason next to, a, like I said, a Damian Lillard or a Steph Curry or just a, a ball-dominant creator, a guard, right? And I, I don't think we've really seen that yet. I think a team can bank on that. The, the free throw shooting is an issue. Um, that was one of, if not the biggest problem this, this postseason. But I don't think our NBA teams are completely turned off by a guy who has shown uh, a ton of potential on the offensive end and has also produced a lot on the offensive end um, despite his limitations and who has shown himself to be one of the, the best defenders in the universe. I think there's still some value there on what is an expensive contract, but it's a long enough contract. He's not going to leave you in a year. You know, you have him for the next few years. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad contract at all. In a vacuum, sure, it, it doesn't look great. If you're Philly, you wouldn't trade for him because your situation isn't conducive to a player like him. But if your situation is conducive to a player like Ben Simmons, a Draymond Green type of player, then I think there's, there's a ton of value there. Steve Smith, after a exceptionally strong start, the points tally for this debate has started to level out considerably. So I'd love to hear from you here. Olgan has provided a detailed answer, but didn't exactly nail down value in 
exact concrete form and what we're how seeing do you quantify the, value yeah well what value we're seeing is seven. The, the, we are that, seeing that from the public unfair. calling in that they are they're demanding and they're thirsting for some more concrete figures so i'm going to offer that up to the captain steve smith where do you stand on <laughs> the trade value of ben simmons as we sit here today i'm with olgs in that that's impossible to quantify it with a hard number so um we'll, we'll, we'll just keep on going but uh, i do think like, while I agree with you, Olgs, in terms of, yes, he has some value, that stock has plummeted in, the, in you know, just, I know that's, you know, there's some recency bias in that, but the problem for Philly now, if they want to trade him, what leverage do they really have? Like, okay, yeah, they're going to say, yeah, look, you, 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 you want an elite defender um, who's always going to be an absolute problem at that end of the court, but it's played at both ends and I think teams understand that he doesn't fit with, with Philly's system now. So they're going to try and get him for pennies on the dollar. And I'm just not so sure that Philly can really get the maximum value that they would think they can from him right now. I think he would be valuable on another team, but another team can absolutely say to Philly, Hey, we will offer you this for Ben Simmons. And Philly says, Hey, we'd like more. And then that team says, Okay, then you keep him. La la la. Right? Yeah. That's that's yeah. not that's not how. What? What yeah. did you say? What did you say? Just say they, they, they would they would oh, la, 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 la. they would troll they they would absolutely <laughs> troll the Sixers, right? What? The, what if the if the Milwaukee Bucks are trying to trade for them? The eighteen to twenty nine demographic has responded very strongly to that <laughs> phrase from Olga Nolich. They're very welcome as the reigning president of the eighteen to twenty nine demographic. You're welcome. Um, and. That, that's the thing. Another team will just say, keep him then. Cool. Just keep keep doing your thing with this thing that clearly doesn't work. Um, yeah. So I get I get why his trade value is probably lower than his actual value. Um, but I, I still think a team will, would offer, yeah, they're not going to get James Harden for him. That, that ship has obviously sailed. They're not going to get a player like that for him. And in hindsight, they probably should have done that. Um, but I, I, I totally get your point. Kane, when it comes to trade value, you've been sitting idly by waiting for your turn to interject. So please, what is Ben Simmons' trade value as we sit here today? Yes, I, I just turned 30 a few months ago. So this is for all the 30 to 39-year-olds out there listening to the podcast, this answer. But I'll go, well. you, brought up the, you brought up the James Harden trade. And I think it is important to note that it's not like the James Harden trade was Ben Simmons for James Harden. And also... The, one of the primary reasons why it didn't go down was because Philadelphia weren't uh, willing or, you know, there was some some discussions that broke down between how much they were willing to give. Maybe there was some Daryl Morey stuff there as well, but it wasn't just... It was like four picks. It was like four first round right. picks. It was a haul. It was an absolute haul. So yeah. I, I think that the word that Steve used, leverage, I think that's right. And I think you described it, Olgan, in terms of teams are going to try and lowball the sixes. There's no doubt about that. But I also can guarantee there is probably, there's only a couple of teams where it doesn't really make sense, but I reckon there's at least 20 teams that uh, would easily be able to talk themselves into the idea of Ben Simmons transforming their team from, you know, where they are to genuine contender because of everything we've spoke about. The talent is there, the, the, uh, everything that you, you think you can get out of him and you think that you might be able to draw the best out of Ben Simmons with a new environment is going to be there. So there's no doubt that teams will be saying, 
Oh, you want us to give up that? We just watched the postseason. We just saw this guy have to get benched repeatedly in the fourth quarter. We're not giving you that because we're going to do the same thing in the playoffs, but that's where the negotiation is going to be. But ultimately, I think there's teams that will come to the party if Ben Simmons is available from Philadelphia, which we believe he's going to be. So a player certainly as a fringe all-star, one that you already mentioned, CJ McCollum, that's definitely the level of player that I, I think you mm. would be able to get with Ben Simmons because I think it makes sense. I, I think with, with all the uh, the potential, this, it feels weird to say potential for a player that's been in the league for five years, but with the untapped potential, I think the value is still there. Potential is, is the word because he's 24. He's, he's not close to his prime. He is still no. the amount of time he's been in the NBA away from reaching his prime. And so I... I, it would be cool to convene this group again in five years' time and see what that conversation looks like, what Ben Simmons has become. It would be a damn shame if this dude is still averaging six, eight, and eight in Philly or anywhere. But if he's still just got that same skill set, that would be a shame because, again, the ceiling is so high. He's clearly skilled. Um, the fact that he hasn't been able to put all of that together to be a really effective offensive player in a playoff series um out is very annoying the ceiling's high the potential's high these are things that we've been circling around and going to detail about where that's come short so far in his career and and again Olga makes a good point about how long he's been in the league what age he currently is and where we expect to see a player of his caliber reach their prime so let's touch on that what does Simmons need to work on when it comes down to it we'll start with you Steve what does Simmons need to add to his arsenal his skill set to be an effective player come playoff time. Yeah, I think like we've we've talked a lot about the shooting and I and look that's obviously a big big part of it. But I think it's not just that. Like he doesn't move well without the ball. So he has to start being not a complete non-entity at the offensive end. So that he can't just be somebody who dribbles the ball up, hands it off at the 45 and then walks to the dunker spot. That just cannot continue. So he needs to be better when he doesn't have the ball in his hands as well, just so that he's keeping defenders honest. Like no one's expecting him to even, you know, in the words of Brett Brown, launch one three a game. Like I don't, as, as Kane said, forget about shooting threes, but just don't be a non-factor when, you know, you're basically playing four on five. So I think, yes, shooting for sure. The free throw shooting needs work. He had previously worked on it and got it to a respectable-ish 70% and then stopped working on it. And we've seen the results now. So those are the things I think more than anything else that, that he really needs to work on. It's not just the shooting. Olgan, your rebuttal? Yeah, I, I agree. It's not just the shooting. The shooting would obviously be extremely helpful um, just as far as opening up the other parts of his game. I think he has to look at the way Giannis has been able to be effective in a postseason. Um, because the, the skill sets are not dissimilar, right? And so I think if he looks at the way he's able to be effective, getting switches off those on balls and being able to attack those switches, working in the post. Um, and then I think he should look at someone like Draymond Green as far as um, being a good one-two guy with a guard and working off um, you know, short rolls and creating from the top of the key, things like that. Being aggressive and getting on the rim or, or, or imagine him in those, you know, those Steph Draymond short rolls where you get a Draymond short roll, catches it, he's basically playing four on three at that point, right? Ben Simmons would be really perfect in that sort of environment, um, but it's difficult because 
there's no real need to help on Ben Simmons because they know he's not going to be that aggressive in the postseason. Again, he's been taking zero shots a game in fourth quarters. And so if he's able to uh, up his aggression, up his assertiveness, um, that would open up a lot of doors for him. Um, and I think that's what it comes down to. Like I said, so the, the whole the Giannis thing, work in the post, do your, do your stuff there. Be aggressive, try and get on the rim. Don't be afraid to go to the free throw line. If he gets, the, gets that part of his game fixed, then I think he can be effective in the postseason. Lots of references to Giannis there, which feels like an attempt at a trigger shot uh, towards Kane Pittman. So only right that Kane hand the mic over Absolutely for your, your response to the question. I mean, the reason we bring him up is because, as Olgan points to in a very simplified manner, it's, it's the easiest comparison in the NBA to make in terms of athletic guys that have skill sets that are beyond where they should be for a player of that size. So that's why it brings up, no one thinks that Ben Simmons is going to end up as good a player as Giannis. Like no one believes that, but- no, the, And also the, like limited shooters, freak athletes, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. But the, as I pointed to at the start of the, the podcast here or in the earlier parts, even if he gets a three-point shot, he's never going to be defended at the three-point line. Teams just aren't going to get to the, to the level where they want to defend him there. So even if he develops the three, it's not going to change the way he's defended. So as both guys have said, it has to be off-ball stuff. He has to have, and this is where it comes back to the roster limitations of that Philadelphia team, he, so, he kind of still had to be a ball handler because if it wasn't him, it was a rookie, Tyrese Maxey. And if it wasn't Tyrese Maxey, it was Seth Curry who give him credit, was probably Philadelphia's second best player in the series. But ultimately, him being on the floor meant that Kevin Herter went off for Atlanta, and that's arguably why they lost game seven. So the roster construction was completely out. They needed a player that was able to take the ball handling responsibilities. Then Ben Simmons can be used as more as a screener, and his offensive game needs to develop from the free throw line and below. So whether it's a little push shot, whether it's a hook shot, both hands, using both hands around the basket. He's, he's got the physicality. He's got the size. That's where he needs to take advantage. So forget the three, work on everything. Come, come back with some post moves. Come back with something in a, in a game and, and you'll, be, you'll be happy. That's all people want to see is some kind of development or different shots in the arsenal. Well, we can forget the three, but we can't forget the scoreboard, which currently reads 16 to Kane Pittman, 14 to Olgan Ulrich and 13.5 to Steve Smith. Uh, as Steve Smith's worm continues to <laughs> take a middling route towards the end. But this is fake that, news. Fake news. What that does mean is we need to go to a bonus tiebreaker question to finish up uh, today's NBA political debate. The is this ben a Simmons secret debate question? Club. This is a secret question. This is a bonus tiebreaker. Um, so Laurie yeah. told us about this question before we came on air and we had agreed, or two out of three of us had agreed to save it for on air. Kane was, um, Kane was a child. Um, and wanted to hear it immediately. Um, so go, go ahead, Lars. Yeah, but what we do get with that question being leaked, and you can say it was through me or through other sources in the media to the candidates ahead of time, was was there malfeasance at play? There were people leaking fake responses to put the opposition debaters on the back foot or on the wrong foot. Um, Steve sitting in last place, clearly getting tired of some of the theatrics we've seen today. But the bonus question is, regarding two high-priced pseudo-stars in the league um, that have heavy contracts, both around the same age. They're going to be talked about in similar breaths this off-season, um, and trade rumors are going to swirl around both Ben Simmons, obviously who we're talking about today, and Chris Tupps, Porzingis. The question is, KP for Ben Simmons, straight up. Which team says no? And if that trade was to go through, how do you value the fit? How do you see the fit of 
Ben Simmons joining the Dallas Mavericks. We will start with Olga Nulich. So Philly says no, because I can't think of anything worse than Joel Embiid and Kristaps Porzingis on the same team. Um, that would just absolutely, I, I, have, I have zero interest in seeing this. Um, as far as Ben Simmons and Dallas would be cool. He's next to another kind of big creator in Luka Doncic. Imagine like imagine Ben Simmons at the four, maybe like a Dwight Powell at the five, and you you got these one four pick and rolls and and work off that. I think that would be really helpful for uh, someone like Luca who hasn't had another creator on his team. Um, but I just don't think that's viable by any means because of the fit with Chris Dubs and Joel Embiid. Um, as much as I know, Loz, you're you love the question so much and any chance for you to bring Dallas fandom into the Ben Simmons debate club, um, you have taken the opportunity, but I just, there's, there's just no way you're going to put Chris Stubbs who has a similar skill set to Joel Embiid, I guess. Um, but both sort of like volatile personalities, just, they're just not going to work together. I am not a candidate today, so we will leave any inherent biases uh, sporting or otherwise <laughs> that the moderator may hold. We will leave that uh, out of the equation. Steve Smith, we're going to move to you in this. What is your response to this hypothetical um, and perhaps hyperbolic question? Yeah, look, I, I agree entirely with Olgan. Philly, ha- Philly hangs up. Um, I'm not even sure Dallas asks, to be honest. I, yeah, the, the fit kind of works, but again, it's probably still asking Ben to play at the four, and I'm just not sure that he wants to do that anyway. Um but again, even if you think about a, how bad a fit it might be for Philly, and even if they're that desperate to, to go through with it, you got to remember just how bad Chris Stapps was this postseason. Like we talk about Ben Simmons' stock value plummeting, Porzingis' value has gone through the floor. Like it's, <laughs> it's like it's attached with an anvil. Like that, he was just horrendous. And I, I, you know, we talk about Philly not having leverage in, a, in any sort of trades. Well, Dallas have even less. So I just, I, I can't see any scenario where Philly would willingly do that unless there is, you know, 11,000 trade picks, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> draft picks associated with that trade as well. So I think that's, you know, it, it just doesn't work. I'm sorry, Loz, you, you, your loaded question was, uh, was no good. And if that cost me points, so be it. I have to, I have to stand in my own truth. Absolutely lambasting the question is an interesting tactic from Mr. Smith. Another interesting tactic is the phone buzzing during the podcast. And while there's rumors suggesting that was the Philadelphia headquarters calling one of Milwaukee's known insiders in Kane Pittman, judging the trade waters, I am going to throw to you, Kane. We're seeing interesting approaches taken by the candidates with this last question. But in regards to the KP for Ben Simmons trade, who says no and the fit? What say you with your final answer in today's pod? Well, keeping in mind that the scorer of this debate came up with this question, I am certainly not going to be in the business of of questioning the legitimacy of this question. I think it's a brilliant question, but I, I, if I was Philadelphia, I would definitely I object. It's pandering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seconded. Seconded. It's been noted. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> It might have just backfired. My plan might have just backfired. But <laughs> I will say this. If anyone's going to say no, it's very clearly going to be Philadelphia um, for a number of reasons. Just when you yeah. look at the injury history of 
Christos Porzingis and, and where he was when he was in New York. Remember, uh, this, this, his first couple of seasons in the year, he was in, the, in his career, he was legitimately looking at, at being a future superstar in the league. And now again, you've got a player that's limited offensively, certainly has problems defensively, and most of it is just because he's not able to move the way that he used to move. When you're seven foot three and you have those types of injuries, it typically is hard for you to bounce back. So it's been a little bit sad to watch Porzingis over the last couple of seasons. But certainly, if you're Philadelphia and you already have Joel Embiid, I, I think that type of player that people still think has that all-star potential as we've discussed I think is the right type of talent that you could look to include in a Ben Simmons trade but certainly Pazingas just given what we know about him I don't think that 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 would be a trade that Philadelphia would uh, spend too much time on the phone with I don't think and regarding the fit for Simmons in Dallas well, I think Doncic can make anyone look good. I mean, you talk about a guy that could get Simmons going off ball. Luka Doncic might be the best player in the league to do yes. so. When you think about Ben Simmons at six foot ten, six eleven, the way that he could roll to the rim, it doesn't even matter if he's if he's not willing to take those shots. Luka would make him take those shots, and he would be taking those open dunks. So, yeah, I mean, if I was Dallas, that would be one environment that you believe that you could uh, unlock the best of Ben Simmons playing next to him for sure. Well, a lot of energy in that final response from Mr. Pittman. Um, as we tally the scores, though, unfortunately, the obvious pandering, his use of the word question six times in the same sentence, and a general touch of, you know, contrarian attacks has seen his stock, much like Kristaps Porzingis, take a tumble right at the hurdle there. He finishes on 17 and a half points. Olga Nulich finishes on 19 and a half points. And Steve Smith... Nice also finishes on 19 and a half points. So we have a tie at the top. There are no losers today other than Kane. <laughs> and that will bring a close to the first edition of the debate club as I happily and humbly relinquish the reins back to Olga Nulich to close out today's special episode of Ball in the Real World. And I accept the reins. And as the host, I declare myself the winner. Congratulations <laughs> to everybody. Uh, commiserations, everyone else. Um, Thanks so much for, for joining us. Thank you to Laurie for taking over the hosting duties. Um, that was a lot of fun. And I feel like we should have more debate clubs in the future. I genuinely felt we got a lot of interesting points around. And I think this will be a, a great listen for everyone in the Australian basketball community. I think this was very, very reasoned and measured and critical where it needed to be, but quite honest. So let's do more of these. If you liked what you heard, head to your favorite podcast at rate, review, subscribe. Ball in the real world, you know what to do. Head to ESPN.com.au for all of our content, whether it's NBA, the NBL season coming to an end of the free agency in the NBL that's also, you know, fast approaching. So if you liked all this, make sure to check us out on every single platform you can. Thank you again, Laurie. Thank you, Kane. Thank you, Steve. We'll see you guys next time.